Hello and welcome to Randomly Generating Counters from Wandering Monster. I'm your host, John Baldisberger. This is a show where we, uh, or I, I suppose I'm the host, uh, interview various game creators, uh, designers, artists, uh, people who are working in the creative space of gaming and maybe occasionally horror. We will see. Um, what we're attempting to do here is uh, really kind of get into the meat of what goes into creating cool games um, and and more than cool games because a cool the word cool is meaningless right uh, <laughs> everyone has a different definition but what really boils down to is interesting games games that do things that are maybe a little different than say uh a combat simulation engine uh or a uh and i've i've railed against this my entire career uh standard western fantasy tropes so with that in mind i am pleased to welcome david shirduan with me today uh the I'm going to say lead designer over at Technical Grimoire, uh, a creative director. We all have so many different titles. We we uh, slap in front of very hungry writer attempting to make cool stuff. Um, thank you for joining me today, uh, David. How are you? I'm doing great, John. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Y'all have taken a been kind enough to feature bones deep in a few places and i'm excited to like nerd out with you and you know give back to all the kindness and attention you've shown me you know it, it's interesting i was thinking before uh before you came on that uh our first two guests because this is a relatively new show our first two guests uh joel clark and billy blue are creators that i've worked with in some kind of professional uh capacity before and I thought, well, David will be my first kind of like a uh, cold call, so to speak. But at the same time, um, I did a review of Bone Steep on the Juan Moncast blog, and uh, I got a chance to actually run Bones Deep for the Juan Moncast uh, while Ian was out. So it's not like I'm going into this blind, and I have done. <laughs> I've done some <laughs> interviews blind. They're not always pretty. Um, <laughs> so... First, to kind of tell my story uh, of our, you know, of this, um, I found Bones Deep on Kickstarter, a website that I frequent and that frequently takes my money. Um, I was, I think I got maybe three paragraphs in. I saw the, the, the hero image, right? I saw the map of the ocean and I saw, I want to say the like rune carver skeleton scrimshawing its own bones and i was like all right take my money um i and back the back the hardcover edition immediately i uh, do man i wanted to get the dice because you had beautiful dice for that project wasn't able to but um you have uh you had a really really pretty kickstarter and one of the things that i have uh, championed over the years is that no matter how good your game is, art and prettiness is what's going to really drive a um, a TTRPG Kickstarter. So, all that in mind, let's we'll go into we'll go into the actual experience of Bones Deep in a minute. Uh, what was it like? setting up, building out, and playtesting a game as story-driven as Bones Deep, where the mechanics are, in fact, like, story elements? Mm. So, <clears throat> I actually am going to dodge the question and do a quick early plug. The Fantastic. creator who... Yeah, I know, right? You're welcome. Um, the creator who made those beautiful dice has actually made more and is Ooh. selling them on her website. So awesome. you have the chance to correct your mistake. And anybody who's watching as well, um, I have to plug Mythscapades. They made the dice. They have a website now with a storefront. 
and they're these beautiful like cross skull and crossbones with like algae floating in the die. They are gorgeous. Look, I look at dice on a semi-professional level, and these are beautiful dice. Yeah, she did an incredible job bringing like our vision to life, and uh, she has like a couple extra left over, and she's making more. So, if you want to go grab them, because they're back. Uh, sorry for the plug. Um, so, Bone Steep is built on an existing game called Troika. Um, Troika made a big splash because of its simple, uh, unique mechanics, and because the writing was very evocative. Um, the writing had a way of describing something without being specific, almost in a way that forces the players to fill in the gaps themselves. Uh, and it made sense to use that as our platform to build Bones Deep on top of, because there's so much stuff that we can't specify in the setting and in the ocean and we tried to leave gaps just like troika does for players to fill those in and get engaged with the story from the very start now i i will say uh i have bought a few books from the uh mesothelioma arts council uh <laughs> i'll never get that right i'm sure ian's screaming in chat right now um <laughs> Troika is a beautiful, another beautiful game. And in fact, I remember you saying that you were going to use the same printer as them because you were so kind of taken by their uh, ability to do these really high quality hardback books. Um, and I have to, I have to say, uh, yeah, <laughs> Bones Deep and Troika, both of those books are just, they're nice books. Uh, beyond even art, they're very high quality. Um, but but going back, so my I going back to my review of Bones Deep, my biggest gripe was that I wanted more of the beautiful art. Um, it was an interesting blend because artistically speaking, Bones Deep is not like Troika's art. Um, there's a few really fan. Not, few is a disservice. There's um. There's a lot of art that's really beautiful, that's really evocative. And then um, I would say almost every page uh, that doesn't have original art has at least uh, one like 1600s map fish on it. Right. What was the choice on that art? Did would did you want to just have as much art as you were possible within budget, or did you really want to evoke that style of um, aesthetic? So art's always a funny thing for an indie RPG. I think a lot of people are used to Wizards of the Coast or Call of Cthulhu or something with a big budget name associated to it, like Cyberpunk 2077 or the Witcher RPG, where every page has got a $500 bit of spot art on it. Mm -hmm. And just to make the book is $10,000 of art. Easy, if mm -hmm. not way more than that. Um, and that's just not feasible for a lot of indie creators. Um, so in a lot of projects that, that I've done before, we try to find a good balance between art that we pay for and public domain work that we can use or remix or sort of flash up a little bit to look nice. Uh, in this case, we partnered with Laura Ketchum, who is an extremely talented artist. Somehow her drawings managed to be cute and creepy at the same time. I don't know how she pulled that off, but she did the beautiful cover. She did all the skeleton illustrations, and she did the few that are obviously digital modern uh, bits of art. Mm -hmm. The rest, we had started collecting public domain art. And we had found lots of generic, you know, whales, fish, seaweed. Um, and then we stumbled across this old manuscript from, uh, I think his name is like Johannes Johan. It's got one of those repetitive names. Johannes Johnstonus um, from the 1600s. And his book just had 400 pages of this like insane woodcut art. Mm -hmm. uh, all had a similar style all the lines were the same width stuff like that so there was a consistency oh nice so there. consistency 
Right. Consistency was huge. And after doing a ton of research, I realized that all of his artwork was based on the dried out samples of sea creatures. Um, oh. So there's this one creature that looks like some kind of alien or demon, and it's just a dried up stingray. Because a lot of the fins get dried up and shrivel, and that's what he drew. He's like, this is a stingray. This is what it looks like. <laughs> um, and so we, we really liked that sort of fantastical interpretation of real creatures that reflected the rest of the book, which is also heavily based on real marine biology. Mm -hmm. And so the theming melt together. We found enough artwork that I think it looks pretty good and has the vibe. But if I could have filled the book with Laura's work, I would have, because her stuff is so incredible. Look, I completely, first of all, as as a as a, as a fellow designer and as a, a publisher, art and as someone who can't draw, right? Art is the bane of my budget's existence. Uh, that said, I don't think there's anything wrong with using public domain art, and I think that uh, games like Morkborg uh, have really popularized it in in the art. Uh, to the point where I think sometimes it's overused, uh, or let me rephrase that. Sometimes I've seen games or modules and adventures where it feels very lazy. Um, but I think that there are a lot of creators that are using it to really great effect. And I think, uh, I don't think I, um, the art in bones deep looks purposeful. Uh, I wanted more of Laura's art because it's beautiful, <laughs> but that is not to knock the use of the art assets you had. Uh, and the formatting, by the way, whoever did layout and formatting did a fantastic job. So, oh, thanks. That was that was me. Kudos. Uh, I will be sending you work shortly because it's it looks <laughs> great. Um, did you use InDesign for layout? Um, Affinity. I use the Affinity suite. Okay. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what? My uh my layout artist Lori Michelle, uh, mm. who's an incredible. Uh, she's one of the owners of Bullish Books. Amazing, amazing layout artist and human being. She uses Affinity too, uh, mm. and she does that because she doesn't want to pay for Adobe. Yep. And now I'm wondering, like, if all the best layout artists are using Affinity, <laughs> what am I doing over at Adobe? Um. <laughs> yeah, uh, Affinity does ninety percent of what Adobe does. There's some things that, that you miss out on, but 90% for 10% of the price, yeah, I'll take it. I, I use like 15% of what Adobe can do anyway, so like <laughs> that's fine. Um, okay. Bones Deep is a, a, let's call it a Troika hack just for simplicity's sake, right? It does, <laughs> I've played a lot of Troika. I've played some Bones Deep. They don't feel similar to me. Um, I can I can easily see the uh, what you're talking about with there are gaps in the the storytelling for players, and I'm going to get to that in just a second because it's my goddamn favorite thing about Bones Deep. Okay, my second favorite thing about Bones Deep, um, but like mechanically, and I would say thematically they don't feel they feel like very distant cousins rather than uh siblings yeah uh and you can primarily thank um captain andrew harrison one of the lead writers of the book my wife and i started working on bones deep as like a small zine it was going to be troika because i know that Troika fans have money and they're supportive, and so I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to join no. that community. You live, you leave my fungi the far realm alone. <laughs> sixty dollars on a bug of watercolor mushrooms. <laughs> so dumb, but it's and so I beautiful. have one too. <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's amazing. It's incredible. Um, so we were just going to make a small Troika zine. It was going to be 20, 30 pages of silly skeletons, like an underwater Atlantis kind of a thing. And it was going to be really goofy mm -hmm. and lighthearted. Um, I was telling Captain Andrew about it. Uh, he's a friend of mine and he was 
he's like, oh, I, I'd love to write a little something for it. You know, just I am a passionate about marine biology and I love d and I'd love to write something for it. So I was like, okay, yeah, take a week or two, brainstorm something, send me some text. We'll see if we can work it in. We'll do a profit split or whatever. Uh, four days later, he sends me 35 pages of detailed content. I mean, it was, he had done stats and like unique mechanics for all the creatures. He had fleshed out different biomes, adventures. It was crazy. Um, and that immediately exploded the book. We went from 20 pages to 75 just with his additions. Um, and it was funny because I remember I wanted to move one of the fish encounters to a different location. I was like, this location has too many uh, aggressive species. We're going to move this aggressive species to, to the polar regions. And he said, you, you can't do that. The Arapaima doesn't live in the polar regions. I'm like, the Arapaima is not a real fish. This is a fantasy game about skeletons. And Andrew had to stop me and say, this is all real. Like 90% of this stuff is real. I layered on some fantasy, but the Arapaima really does have diamond teeth. It really can reflect electricity back to its attackers. It really does camouflage itself at the bottom of a river. Like, And I realized his passion for marine biology had been expressed through the game. Um, to me, it was a silly Troika book, and I was ready to like rip it apart and add more fantastical stuff. But to him, this was his passion shining through. And I think that drastically affected the tone because we went from fantasy, lighthearted, underwater adventure to almost more of a real world setting with a layer of goofiness on top. Hmm. And Troika is normally not that grounded. Troika is yeah, normally no. much crazier. I see. Um, so there's another game uh, called Cuticorium. Uh, I interviewed what? them <laughs> a while back. Uh, a guy named Ulysses Duck. Uh, and it's the a insect adventure game. RPG. Part, sir. The insect adventure RPG. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I see. It. Uh, but it, they had a like real uh entomologist yeah entomologist Ooh. working on the book and like making sure things synced up with how bugs would actually act and think and like uh not too long ago i say not too long ago forever ago we published a book called um encyclopedia sharksploitanica which was mm -hmm. a marine biologist reviewing bad shark movies <laughs> i think yes. that when people's passions in science where that meets fantasy and fiction is a really fascinating and cool place um and it's really hard not to get swept up in someone else's passion when they're allowed to really explore it i wrote a book years ago called uh, war dictates it's based on jewish mythology and over and over again people would ask me like hey is this crazy thing that happens in this book like actual like is this in the bible or is this something you made up it's like nope that's in, that's part of the actual like talmud so <laughs> mm -hmm. uh it's it's that again that blurred line is extremely cool to me so mm -hmm. Speaking of the gaps in stories, the key mechanic of Bones Deep is memories. And that is giving GMs, uh, people running this game, a monumental task and a monumental hammer. When you were putting it together, what were you th what were you thinking? Were you were you how were you intending it to be used? And did you feel the need to try to balance it at all? Interesting. Uh, it's a good question. Um, the memory is a theme in a lot of my games. I I try to give players a direct way to 
add information or get information through various ways. Um, so it, it that's just part of my design brain. I always go to think like, how can we fill in the backstory of whatever we're doing, whether that's flashbacks like Blades in the Dark or background information from Troika, whatever, or learning new skills, that kind of thing. For Bones Deep, it fit, had a very specific purpose, and that is you can't talk to fish. Um, in fact, you can only talk to a few kinds of creatures underneath the waves. And I wanted the GM to be able to include more nonviolent, interactive scenarios. Um, and so that's how I pitch it in the book, is that it's a way for the GM to hand wave, letting players talk to fish. They can ask the fish if they've seen anything recently. Do you know where the glowing rock might be? How are the waters? Has anything changed? So it has a very, um, it allows for a style of play besides killing everything in the ocean. Um, honestly, I had a lot of trepidation about it because it can also be very intimidating for a GM. Um, there's a kind of player who will pick up a doorknob and be like, I absorb the memory of the doorknob. What do I get? And a GM can feel put on the spot. Like I did not prep any history for the doorknob. <laughs> Um, so I tried to add in some tables to make it a little bit more manageable. I tried to add a downside to players so they don't abuse it. Um, and I hope that GMs aren't too intimidated by that, but I do admit that that's kind of a giant, like, extra bit of work on top of uh, what is a simple game. Yeah, so I think this is another diverging point between Troika and Bones Deep, right? And because I feel Troika is very, uh, very capable of throwing together a group that doesn't really know each other and, you know, going and having weird fun. I think Bones Deep requires, because of the memories, right, requires a, uh, a more tight-knit community to play people that uh, you have to have built trust uh you have yeah. to understand the players and the gm so for instance um when we were running the adventure in the book right um there's a locked door with a keypad and my players i want to say it was charles uh, i was like okay well i'm gonna touch the keypad and absorb the memory like mm -hmm. easy peasy uh and I put forth a scene of two of the crewmates who were in a uh, were in a relationship, a same sex relationship, arguing over like the closeted person revealing this relationship to his family, uh, and then punching in the code and kind of dejectedly walking through the door. I could have just mm -hmm. said, "You see someone punching this code, right?" right. Uh, and if I don't know the group, maybe that's what I do. But if you know the group, if you and if you have the right setting, it allows the GM to do a lot more storytelling and world building. Um, in a really like, it, it was a really cool moment that was improv, right? I didn't plan. I didn't sit down like, how can I make this game gay? Although I do do that pretty often. <laughs> right. I do. That's I do a big goal. You know what this game needs more more rainbows and i'm but usually right more crime <laughs> uh, okay sidebar have you seen the lancer rpg on kickstarter and their slogan it's gay do giant robot crimes oh hell yeah. and it's That's like amazing. all right take the money you you got it got it yep. in one buddies yep. just like okay. a thirsty sword lesbians that thirsty sword lesbians yes that's it it's over. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, I think that Bones Deep allows for really intimate and really personal storytelling. But again, that is something that has you the GM has to know where the players are comfortable and what the players want to hear. Because if you're playing with a random group, uh, you know, bright side, maybe the homophobe leaves the table. 
uh, dark side, <laughs> maybe your players don't want that kind of story and are kind of off put. Uh, maybe one of them has had that situation. Now they're feeling kind of yucky about themselves. So it it's a great tool, but it could be dangerous. Um, but I love it. I want to get to the elephant in the room, David. I want to get to. I want to get to the hard question for you. Okay. You and I are both professionals. We're adults. Mm-hmm. We both work in gaming. Uh, yep. we're both professional writers. Um, at the same time, we're both thirteen-year-old uh, boys, uh, as is everyone. Thirteen and, and a half. <laughs> thirteen and a quarter for me. <laughs> Um, you know where I'm going with this. Bones deep, man. (laughs) How? I can't. Like, look, when I'm trying to tell a new group of people about this cool game, and I'm like, yep, bones deep. It's Giggles. It's Giggletown. It's a sex phrase, David. Yes. We joke about the skeleton dating game, Bone Deeper, is in the works. (laughs) deeper i barely even know her that's right uh so i can explain this it has a please please. it has a perfectly innocent explanation we could not think of a name that had good seo because we we talked about like uh we went through a bunch of names and they were either already taken because skeletons are kind of a common thing in pop culture mm-hmm. um, or it was misleading. Um, mm-hmm. Like at one point we talked about, uh, we, we came up with a horror title. It was something like um, Sinking Bones or something like that. And it had this like really dark foreboding atmosphere. And that's just not the atmosphere of Bones Deep. Gotcha. Um, it could do horror, but I definitely think it's more lighthearted than that. I would, I would, I'm a professional horror writer, and I would <laughs> probably not want to do that with Bones Deep. Yeah. It's not the kind of game I would want to run with it. Although I do, I, yeah, it could be possible. Sure. Um, and we just kept coming back to the title of Bones Deep, okay. and we thought it was kind of stupid and simple, and it had great SEO. And uh, it's that's what happened. <laughs> David, as a man who's named his one of his games Morka Beans, SEO <laughs> means nothing to me. Um, <laughs> it's not a thing I'm it's good so at. Um, <laughs> all right, we talked for like 30 minutes about Bones Deep, uh, but anyone watching could be forgiven for thinking that's all you do. Uh, but it's not. <laughs> I have open here, and I'm going to get very bright very quickly. There we go. I have open your website. Technical. Oh, there's Google. a dark mode. There's a dark mode in the top there right. There is. Okay. Now I just look greasy. Um, <laughs> I'm at your website, technicalgrimwire.com. Um, great website. You have some really good downloads. Uh, uh, handouts merchant tables stuff that like you can just grab and download you also have some cool generators that uh i used your troika generator and tracker in the past uh for for running games on wandering monster uh stygian library generator weird hunt like lots of cool stuff um thank you but right now let's talk about games um mm-hmm. now i have I didn't know you did that one. I downloaded this one before I knew about you, David. Uh, let's talk about Jedi Wushu. <laughs> oh my god, we're going way back. Yes, yeah, sir. Hey, if you don't want to talk about it, don't put it on your page. Um, no, that's fair. I love Wushu. I love wire fu, kung fu, gun fu. Uh, and you designed a game... Oh no, Daniel. Nope, Daniel Bain designed the original Wushu system, and then you said, "You know what this needs? The Force and lightsabers." <laughs> so tell me about tell me about Jude, uh, Jedi Wushu. Uh, so the version of Jedi Wushu available on my site is actually the second version with 
cleaned up presentation and, and revised text. That second version came out in 2016. So we are digging way back. Um, I think I designed this game to be readable on my Kindle because that was how I consumed books back in the day. Yeah, because the PDF has like a weird six by nine format. Um, Jedi Wushu is very directly the normal Wushu rules with a bunch of examples for Star Wars content. Um, Daniel Bain did all of the good stuff. Uh, I really just added a layer of Star Wars on top. Uh, I don't think I added any new mechanics or ideas. It's just a ton of um, Jedi content. Um, he takes he deserves all the credit for making a beautifully fun and exciting game. Okay, I'll let you off on that one. Uh, I again, that was that was ad lib because I downloaded Jedi Wushu not too long ago during my like I need more stuff to do kung fu. Uh, essentially, I was waiting for Joel Clark's uh, uh, fist fist game to come out. So, yeah. all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up a little bit more uh, to Tempered Legacy which is a supplement, not a full game. Um, I love this kind of thing, and this is really pretty. Tell us about Tempered Legacy. So Tempered Legacy is an RPG supplement. Uh, it's a zine, about 60 pages. It's pushing up against book size, but it's still printed soft cover, 6x9. Um, and it contains a bunch of magic items. The kicker and the gimmick for this one is that all of the magic items have powers that are locked behind the regrets of their previous owner. So you might have a sword. The owner tried to reach the top of the Crystal Peaks. She never made it. And the sword has an ability that if you reach the top of the Crystal Peaks, it will unlock its power and reveal its true nature to you. And the book is a advice on making your own tempered weapons. It's a bunch of beautiful examples written by cool contributors, and it features a lot of public domain artwork. That was my first big foray into public domain work. So while you were talking, uh, I decided to use your Forge a Tempered Weapon uh, button on your site, and I forged Scruple the Axe. It's a flail created from steel with pieces of paper scattered throughout the construction. Uh, a few seconds after the weapon is embedded in an enemy or surface, a bolt of lightning strikes it. Uh, I, if I can, <laughs> if I can spend at least three hundred and thirty-eight gold to ruin or discredit a foe of mine, specifically a bard, uh, the weapon will float in place when I let go of it. And if I can develop a harmful habit and maintain it for 75 days, easy peasy for John, let me tell you, uh, I will know the location of a great treasure. Um, David, can I get you to autograph a copy of this and send it to me? I would be happy to. I would love that. I, I want this very badly. Um, there you go. This is a verbal contract between me and David. So uh, all you listeners okay. know, I now owe him money. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, the generator was was fun to work on. I did all the website design and the generator design myself, and that was super fun to work on. And the zine came afterwards to flesh out the ideas and give more pre-written examples. Very cool. Now, uh, taking a break from your games, what is? Uh, are you a full-time designer? No. What what is your what is your day gig? How do you pay the bills? Um, I am a DevOps engineer, a software engineer, um, and game design is kind of one of my only creative outlets. Okay. I uh, just so you know, David, my day one of my day jobs is uh, analyst research uh, producer. What does that mean? So I take reports from people <laughs> like you and give them to other people like you that don't know what the first person knows. Um, <laughs> we've done lots of DevOps reports. So many. Oh, nice. Um, I, I ask because 
the your website's beautiful. Thank you. Um, uh, very easy to navigate. Uh, very intuitive. Um, it looks great, and I say that so people know that they should go there. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, pretty shortly. So there's three more things I want to discuss on your website. Uh, and we're going to do them leading up to the big reveal. Uh, first, Low Country Crawl, a Southern Gothic RPG design. So first question, where... <laughs> don't dox yourself, but whereabouts do you live? Oh, I'm very publicly a South Carolina Charleston local. Um, okay. All right, I guess I'm you really can do Southern in... Gothic then. Well, what's cool is, and so I, I will try to keep this brief. Um, Low Country Crawl was written by uh, John Gregory. He came up with the idea uh, and he pitched it to me as a zine. Um, I added a, a few bits of content to it, but mostly just helped him structure it and get it looking nice. We partnered with local artists, local consultants, local writers, uh, and a portion of all of those sales go to a local charity that I'm involved in. Oh, so very it's cool. very much born and bred in, in the, the southern, um, like, uh, low country region. And based on local legends and local history, and it's, it's so, just like Bones Deep, it's more real than not. I love it. I love it as a as a as a Texan and everything that uh, that entails. Unfortunately, uh, I've worked with I've I've co-written books before where I had that took place in Texas where I had to take the other author aside and be like, "Hey, bud, we don't. That's not that's not a yeah. thing." Yeah, <laughs> not sure. Well, and yeah, if I can also take another add a brief detail. We worked extensively with local consultants. Um, Johnny and I are two white guys, and we worked with uh, a local team of black writers and artists to make sure that we were correctly portraying things like, you know, the perils of slavery, how society was impacted by all the evils that happened, and we tried to provide a, a true history that's not right. like. I see. Uh, you have over. Erica Veal and mm -hmm. uh, Akela. Mm -hmm. uh, Both consultants. of those are consultants. Uh, you work with Michael Lee Harris as one of the artists, uh, mm -hmm. who's a person of color, and Stephen Bramlett is one of the writers who is, again, a person of color. So I am all for, uh, you know, diversifying and including as many uh, viewpoints as possible and then as many projects as possible. Yeah, especially with this subject. We wanted to make sure that we were <laughs> correctly representing because it was dicey for a while. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see that. Let's talk about the overpowered solo role playing uh, you got here. Mm -hmm. You so say that overpowered. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it's not finished yet, so that's the big caveat. Okay. Um, it is my attempt at a solo role playing game with a heavy emphasis on a custom electronic dice app. So. It says on here that you can use this to play any adventure module that relies on math. Correct. Can you explain that to me? Because I'm dumb and I don't understand. <laughs> so um, we tend to think of solo RPGs as replicating the traditional role-playing experience, but by yourself. You roll to see if you defeat the monster. You roll to see if you pick the lock and you roll to see what happens. Solo or Overpowered takes a different perspective. Overpowered turns any adventure module into a resource management game that you play through. And the reason that it's compatible with any system is that you use the numbers of a stat block and nothing else. So if a monster has 10 HP, does 12 damage, and can move 20 feet per second, you just take those numbers, remove any of their meaning, and you spend points to overcome the numbers. And it turns it into an abstract game of math layered over uh, a role-playing scenario. Um, 
I'm still working on the pitch and the rules, and it's weird. I still don't know how to sell it or market it, but I have say, done several playthroughs that I enjoyed. So that's generally something. speaking, people try to pitch math as like, okay, but you can add dragons, and now it's in D and D. And you said, okay, but what if we remove the dragons? And it was just <laughs> math. Yeah. Okay, so I so I, I got so the pitch. I can roll dice then. No, no, I took that out too. <laughs> yeah, you have a, a grid of dice that you can you gain dice by accomplishing things, and then you spend those dice to uh, accomplish other things, and it's a bit of resource management. I um I'm a person who buys a lot of adventures and games and doesn't get to play a lot of them. So yep. uh, you know pretty, that's we're joking. We're joking about like you took all you took all the things that we like about this and or like no just math now, uh, but honestly like as soon as I saw it I was like oh if I can use this to play some games that I've been really wanting to just play through the story that'd be fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, so I will. Um, it also doubles for me as a GM prep tool because you get to oh. play through the adventure, see all the content. Um, in about an hour and a half, you can play through almost any adventure module. Nice. Mm -hmm. I think that's a it's a cool concept, and uh, I I will watch it with I will watch your career with great interest. Um, <laughs> Me too. I can't wait till I figure out what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a secret I'll never know. Okay, so you have. You have decided you want more of my money. Uh, Correct. Therefore, therefore, you are going to be launching a new Kickstarter next month uh, called Bridgetown. Now, I have some of the art on the overlay that's kind of going through um, for Bridgetown, but why don't you tell us about this? Sure. So uh, in the context of all my other games, Bridgetown is... One of the first books that was not written by me, Technical Grimoire, is just acting as a publisher. So the artwork was by uh, Charlie Ferguson. It was written by John Gregory and Adrian Ramos. Um, layout is done by Shane Kellen. So I take no credit for all of the amazingness that is in this book, but I will excitedly tell you about it. Um, Bridgetown is a pastoral liminal RPG setting of a never-ending, ever-crumbling bridge. Like Bones Deep, it is built for Troika, and like any OSR game, it's easily adaptable to almost any rule system. The gimmick of Troika, I joke that all my games have to have a gimmick, this one's no different. We use the liminal tag because the setting is about it's set on a narrow bridge that goes on forever. And we describe the strange communities and civilizations that have made a home on this infinite bridge floating in space. Um, so it's a very unique, bizarre setting. And I think the writing really shines. It's way more Troika weirdness than Bones Deep. Nice. I, uh, many years ago, I worked on a game called Gruff, which was, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, Love Gruff. Great Gruff game. is fantastic. Now, I, when I say work on, I want to be very, very clear. I did some <laughs> editing and some like creative writing with uh, the designer Brent Critchfield, who is the real mm -hmm. like did everything. Um, but I am all for playing goat men in liminal spaces. It's like, it's a thing. It's, it's, mm -hmm. if I had a dime for every game about goats in liminal spaces, I'd have two dimes. It's not a lot of dimes. <laughs> it's weird that I have two of them. Um, so, uh, okay. Now this is, now this is a really interesting point here, right? Because at some point you've made the leap from being a designer who had a a web store to showcase your work to being a publisher that is a tempting but terrifying uh, uh shift it's one i've made uh 
so three questions. I'll quick fire them at you. What's wrong with you? Have you lost your damn mind? <laughs> and uh, what is the most exciting thing about this project for you as a publisher? Sure. Um, first of all, the list of things that are wrong with me will have to be on a separate podcast. Sure. I will happily guest star where you psychoanalyze all the problems with me. <laughs> um, uh, I don't remember the second question. And for the third question, <laughs> um, this is this is a little bit uh, personal, but I have, as much as I enjoy writing and creating and sharing that with people, over time I found that the thing I really enjoy is the people, the community. Um, and when I work on a game, Bones Deep is a great example. I enjoyed the writing and working on that, but I enjoyed collaborating with other people more. I enjoyed getting to help new writers uh, adapt to the weird structure that RPG requires. I enjoyed reaching out to artists or editors or designers who um, haven't really gotten the chance to dive in yet and expose them to my, my audience. And I've been doing that with Low Country Crawl, Bones Deep, and I want to do that more um, because the chance to connect with people, collaborate with people, and make sure we all get paid at the end of the day is really exciting. Um, and I'm still, I'm working on Overpowered on my own time and still doing personal projects, but I'm really enjoying the shift to publishing because I enjoy the project management, I enjoy connecting with new people, and I enjoy sort of helping other writers and artists um, we can make something better together than we could on our own. Uh, and that's been like a new passion that I've discovered over the last year or two. And I'm trying to do that more and more. And Bridgetown's like the first big step in that process. Very cool. When I first got involved in a company making games, the designer and owner told me in order to run a company, you have to like, essentially you have to like income more than you like people. Sure. And having having run madness heart press for going on five years um i've published or i've been involved in the publishing of right around 75 to 80 books at wow this point. that's awesome um thank you it's it's a lot and i am digging myself into an early grave day by day um <laughs> i don't agree uh, it may make you more successful uh, in the short term, but by putting an emphasis on people and relationships, I've gotten my hands on, uh, I work with an author named Edward Lee, extreme horror, godfather of extreme horror. Um, he pays my bills with his book. <laughs> And I got him because I was nice to a friend of his. Uh, you know, mm. I knew him. You know, we were acquaintances, but I was nice to a friend of his. And I was nice to her because I'm nice. But she came to me because I was nice to another friend. And it's that networking of being decent, being kind, and being someone who shows people respect that has allowed me to succeed as both a, a publisher, a writer, and as a game designer. Um, and when you say what I like doing is working with people, what you're saying is I want to give new authors a chance. I want to give writers a chance. I want to, uh, help people become better. And I might be putting my own words in your mouth. And if so, I apologize. I want to bring interesting projects to the fore. That's important to me. That's, uh, breathtakingly important to me. Um, because what, what drives me towards buying games, Bones Deep, Bridgetown, uh, we played Necronautilus by Adam Vass the other day, which is another game oh, that beautiful. focuses on memories and is gorgeous. Ugh, mm -hmm. Adam Vass, call me. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, these are games that are not like others. Um. And there's a danger there. There's a real danger in making a new sort of game. 
first, maybe people don't want the type of game you're making. And, it's the, <laughs> and that's the imposter syndrome all of us deal with every single day. Two, maybe it won't be good. And the the flip side of that is I personally don't feel that doing something I know that's going to be successful is as rewarding as putting out something that feels unique, that feels new. Um, it's incredibly risky. And I've, I have personally eating glass on many books. Uh, and I will, and going, if I went back in time, I would publish them again and again and again because they are cool and they deserve to exist in this world. Bones Deep has been successful. You did it. Mm -hmm. And it's very cool. And it's very interesting and nuanced. Uh, it's, it is, in my opinion, a complete success story. Obviously, I don't know uh, the finances behind it. Uh, I know better than most that you can blast your funding goal out of the water and still be in the red. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, Bones Deep is a super cool game. Uh, Bridgetown looks like it's going to be incredible. I think you're doing amazing work, David. Um, and I'm really excited to, you know, watch your growth uh, as a publisher now, uh, as well as a designer. Um, and, and I hope that sometime in the future, you and I can work together, in fact, because uh, I like what you're doing. Uh, that's a legally binding promise, Internet. You heard that? There you go. I'll send him a copy of Tempered Legacy, and then he has to work with me. That's that's it's all it's all here in the <laughs> verbal paper, baby. <laughs> but I I want to build on on what you were saying for a second, please. Um, I think there's also a rare opportunity. There's a common understanding that in order for a game to be successful, you have to support it. I don't know if you've seen this discourse, but like yeah, you release uh, the rules yeah. for free and then you do an adventure every year to keep to build the audience, you know? Like um Mothership was big on that, Morkborg, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, Troika's doing the same thing. Um I don't like to do that. I get bored with ideas and I move on. Uh, doing two Troika books in a row is rare and probably I don't know how much Troika I'll do after this. And I think the joy, again, to come back to a publisher is I get to connect with a different group of people when I switch genres, when I switch concepts, when I switch game systems. And all of our communities are small enough that people are welcoming and excited about stuff. Um, and it doesn't feel like this high risk thing. Um, when you said your quote about, oh, if you're going to be a successful publisher, you have to like profit more than people. I agreed with it because it's hard for me to remember that what we're doing is successfully publishing a book. It feels like a bunch of people making something cool together. And then if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. And we're going to make it anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I loved everything you had to say. I think that's so cool. Um, and it's cool that at least for now, until our community gets big enough to get more and more toxic, <laughs> We have that seems to be like the prevailing sentiment. I um, it when I first got involved in the horror community as a writer and then as a publisher, I was really blown away by the lack of toxicity that I saw in the community. Then I started watching publishers folding for toxic behavior, and I saw writers mm -hmm. being ostracized for toxic behavior and i saw the feuds and this and as i get more and more of a name for myself and more and more enmeshed in the ttrpg community i see some of that but i also see people fighting against it you know in any community you uh you kind of get in you'll if you try to you can find the kind people that just want to make cool stuff. And if you cling to them, uh, you can build your own community that kind of insulates you against the toxicity. 
um, in a really, really nice way. Um, so, you know, yeah, there's toxicity in, in our community. Uh, look, I'm in, I'm in the Morphorg community. Um, and there's, because it got so popular so fast, there's some people who really hate Morphorg. <laughs> there are people who despise anyone who says the name of the yellow book. <laughs> but, um, I don't interact with them. Right. And I don't interact with any of the people that are saying things like, oh, if you don't play Morphorg, you're an idiot. I only interact with the people that want to do cool stuff and that's their goal. Uh, and yeah, I think to bring it all back, um, next month, Bridgetown comes out on Kickstarter. I think I have a date here. Uh, no, just April 2023. Um, there is a newsletter if you go to technicalgrimwire.com. So you can... Uh, you can sign up for that and get mm -hmm. updates. I may have already signed up for your newsletter. I'm not sure. Um, but the important thing to remember is that, I'm going to say this with my whole chest, listener, watcher, viewer, if you like the games that someone is making, buy them, support them, Click that notify upon launch button. Subscribe to their newsletter. I can't lift this finger without lifting the others first. Um, <laughs> and then tell other people about those games. The only thing that I mentioned that costs money there is buying the game. The other four things are free. And mm -hmm. they are immeasurably helpful to indie creators. Um, so do that. David, we're just about closing out of time is there anything you want to say to ask to to promote to to yell to scream complaints anything hit me <laughs> uh <clears throat> support bridgetown um like i said i take no credit for all the good stuff that's in it i just get to be a cheerleader and a, a supporter of it and i'm so excited for the work that johnny and adrian and charlie and Skullboy and Shane are doing with this book. Um, and the, the Kickstarter is going to be great. The book is going to be incredible. And I will back I'm this book so day excited. one. No question. Uh, for all of you out there, uh, again, go to technicalgrimwire.com. It'll be linked in the show notes if you're watching this uh, on video or audio on demand. Um, you can follow Technical Grimwire on Twitter. I think at Technical Grimwire. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. How about that? At Kaiju Poet. Uh, you can also catch us at MHP underscore horror or Juan Moncast and follow Juan Moncast. Uh, Charles, <clears throat> Charles Bernard runs Juan Moncast and he does an amazing job of keeping like aggregating news and articles about gaming to that twitter feed so it's super informative uh it's how i figure out anything's happening now um i have a new book out it's called Ooh. the hillels have eyes uh extreme <laughs> graphic violence uh trigger warning there um and uh consensual sexual violence trigger warning um <laughs> It's it's a lot. It's a you very use my book of having a misleading sexual title. Uh, my book my book doesn't have a sexual title, but it is it has some misleading <laughs> sex. I'll tell you what. Um, Madness Heart Press uh, also released a new book from Susan Snyder today called Picking Scabs. It's a chapbook of feminist horror poetry. Susan Snyder is an amazing amazing poet, and this stuff is incredible i i am shooketh by it so pick those two books up you can find them on amazon or madnessheart.press um david i think that's it i think we did a good job yeah i think Kapla. hooray i think i get i think i get the wet food with the gravy tonight hooray <laughs> um <laughs> friends family 
there's nothing left to say, but thank you so much for joining us on this consensual journey that we call Randomly Generated Encounters. On behalf of Wandering Monster, I've been John Valdisberger. And I've been David Sherdwan. We will see you next time, uh, and we'll be back tomorrow, gosh, with a Wandering Monster. Until then, stay safe and uh, keep your bones happy.